What's going on, guys? Welcome back. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by Hotshot Brewing. Oh, yeah. Our official, unofficial coffee sponsor of the Anchor Point Podcast. And if you guys don't know about Hotshot Brewing, well, they make awesome coffee. Especially that sawdust blend. That sawdust blend, that, yeah, that's my new favorite. It used to be uh, scratch line, but now it's a sawdust. Anyways, it's good coffee for a good cause, and a portion of the proceeds goes back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. But if you guys want to support that Wildland Firefighter culture and drink some killer coffee on the way, well, head over to the website, www.hotshotbrewing.com, and check out their full line of apparel, their full line of coffee, and their tools of the trade to get your morning started right they also support the anchor point podcast by slinging our merch so if you guys are looking for a anchor point tea or some stickers or some other swag definitely check them out today's episode is also going to be brought to you by mystery ranch oh yeah mystery ranch arguably the most comfortable and the best built fire line pack out there oh yeah and if you guys don't know who Mystery Ranch is, well, then uh, it's safe to assume that you guys have been living under a rock for your fire career. But in addition to their fire packs, they also make a full line of load-bearing equipment. So not just fire packs, but if you're into hunting, fishing, camping, hiking, if you guys want to trek across the Appalachias in your off-season for some reason, definitely check out their, uh, their backpacks, their full line of load-bearing essentials. They make the best gear for the boots on the ground, and it is always built for the mission. So definitely go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check them out. And last but not least, we are brought to you by the Smoky Generation, a.k.a the American Wildfire Experience. And uh, Bethany's got an awesome organization over there. And uh, what she's actually done is made a digital collection of stories from firefighters, just both past and present, uh, dating all the way back to the 1940s. And I think it's awesome. Uh, she's also teamed up with Mystery Ranch and Water Axe Pumps to facilitate some grants for you folks in the field. So if you guys uh, are a blogger, a writer, a photographer, a videographer, Definitely check out www.wildfireexperience.org and see what you guys can do about uh, getting yourself a grant to help support your guys' uh, adventures in the field. Uh, there's a limited number of $500 grants out there that are available, and they continually go about it every year. So if you guys want to find out more, definitely check out the Smoke Generation and the American Wildfire Experience at www.wildfireexperience.org. The views and opinions of this podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private, municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. Today on the show, I've got Clay Hess. Clay is a wildland firefighter who just recently suffered an injury, and uh, it sounds like he's recovering well. So 
Hopefully he'll be back in the field soon. But in his offseason, he is absolutely dedicated to his passion and his craft in the world of philanthropy. He actually got hooked up with the guys over at Wine to Water. You can check him out on Instagram. And he goes to uh, disaster-affected communities across the world, and he provides clean, safe drinking water to these communities. He digs wells. He provides filtration systems. He does it all, and he does it on a volunteer basis. It's pretty freaking wild, and it's pretty freaking cool. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Clay Hess on the Anchor Point Podcast. Welcome to the Anchor Point. Ready to get into it? Yeah. All right, let's send it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. Today on the show, I've got Clay Hess. What's going on, Clay? How much? How are you doing? Yeah, pretty damn good, man. It's uh, cold and windy here in northern Nevada. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty snowy here as well in Cheyenne. Nice, man. Yeah, Cheyenne's a nice town. It gets windy and cold there, though. It's like super, crazy. super windy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So tell us about yourself, man. Yeah, um, I was born in Wyoming. Um, I was raised in Wyoming. Um, I moved in with my aunt and uncle when I was five. Um, my parents still live in New Hampshire. Um, I went to school in Cheyenne, graduated, and then I went to college. I ended up dropping out, kind of found fire in school, and I found a little bit of water in school. And um, those were kind of like my two passions. Um, I've just been working and um yeah, I broke my hip recently, so I'm kind of out of the fire scene right now. Um, so I'm just healing up after a recent surgery. But nice. yeah, so that's kind of why I'm in Cheyenne. Nice, man. So, so uh, a fire career rise. Like, what have you done with fire? Yeah, so um, after school, I went right to Gillette, Wyoming. Um, it was a, It's a federal state department, but they had a seasonal program. So it was about three months of the year. Um, it was type six old 1970 trucks and how to drive stick cowboy and a lot of fun um enjoyed it so I, I ended up being a lead the second year um i was a very late bloomer so like um i kind of needed that time to like do it and then um after that i went to dutch john utah on a type four did two seasons there um had dreams and desires to jump um really wanted to jump so i got on the module in vernal utah which was a uh, my uh, module leader was a smoke jumper from McCall, and I was getting on the list for hot shots. Um, that's kind of where I ended up, and I'm still there working prevention now. Nice, man. So how the hell did you break your hip, man? That sounds painful. Yeah, so I, we were doing a lot of burning on forests, um, and I ended up working like 11, 12 days before we got called out to the Dollar Ridge fire in Utah. So I ended up being there we were burning off roads burning off um some of the line that were construction on a saddle it kept blowing over um and one night we got distracted with a public guy coming down where we were burning and we left a tire chalk so the next day um uh, there was a couple engines ahead of us and they like went around it and then one guy stopped and threw the tire chalk across the fence and i just i'm always that person like to go and do the right thing right away so I was like, that's a tire chalk. I jumped out. I ran over. I had Bob wear on the top, and I didn't have my gloves. So I just kind of leaped up on top of it. And when I came back over, I didn't have quite enough because it was like a little bit of an incline. So I started overexerting, and I fell over, um, put a foot out, and I ended up dislocating and breaking a chunk off the acetone. Oh, so, gnarly. 
Yeah. Yeah, man. So, yeah, they, luckily we had a paramedic um, that was detailed from uh, Salt Lake or Orem area, and he was on scene, and he doped me up pretty quick. But, yeah, it was, it was quite the struggle. Um, it, there was a fight for life because the ambulance, ambulance was going to be a couple hours. So, uh, yeah, about three hours before the relocation was put back in in Provo, and then I had surgery the following day. Yeah. Seven, yes. Dude, did you have like a bunch of hardware and stuff put in your hip? Yeah, seven screws in a plate. Damn. Oh, and you're still yeah. recovering from that, man. So that injury was pretty recent, or you just no, you just had a, another surgery for the scope, right? Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah, so I broke that a year and a half ago, and like I was healing really quick. Like I walked half the time I was supposed to, and like in a good way. They said it was good. So like I always like I was doing really good, but I couldn't like get past squatting like 90 or 100 and mm-hmm. I would like I would hurt I'd feel good at the time and I always had like this like sensation that I had something going on but a lot of people were like no and like a lot of family kind of was like no that's kind of how it's supposed to be so I was kind of worried so I ended up getting an EMG test I had nerve damage still after a year and then I couldn't get an MRI because of the hardware so I decided to get a scope and they found a labrum impingement so they got that taken care of and I just got off crutches after a month, so. Yeah. Well, at least you're healing up well. I mean, that's yeah. You brought yeah. up a good point though, there, dude. It's like after you got injured initially and you were walking around on it, you're you thought you were recovered, but something told you that something was wrong. So yeah. You yeah. got to listen to your body, man. You definitely got to listen yeah. to it. Yeah, man. Yeah. So as far we got the fire thing going, and you obviously are passionate about fire, but the antithesis to fire is water, and that's what you do. I kind of want to take the time to like highlight the philanthropy aspect of what you do. And yeah, man, it's, it's awesome. The wine to water program and you're out there building wells. So tell us about that. Yeah. So kind of back in uh, high school when I was kind of lost, um, I dove into the fire, but I also took a public speaking class, even though I knew I wasn't going to graduate. Um, but I ended up getting a book called wine to water. And it was just about this guy named doc Henley that, um, he ended up, hearing about the water crisis and he went to Darfur for two years after a couple fundraiser, one year, sorry. Um, and he was there in 2004 in Darfur, Africa during the war. And so it was super captivating, like hearing what he was doing and the stuff that he was doing. So I always checked him out and I always like, always thought about that water and I always had that like deep passion for it. Um, there was like days in school where I like was about to go into math tests and all I could think about was, like being in Africa, helping water, like it's all I could think about at those times. So I always had that passion. So each Christmas I would just donate like a well or a couple filters to the family instead of presents. And then I realized like how sweet my fire gig was that I could start traveling more. So I ended up doing a trip. So Wine to Water is based out of North Carolina, mm-hmm. um, Boone. And they basically support life and dignity through the power of clean water. So they go in to natural disasters and then they can build so they've for example they went to nepal so in 2015 there was an earthquake and yeah huge they, earthquake they, huge earthquake yeah so there was a guy named shiresh that um he was nepalese and he lived in boone and he went to them and he need, he knew that he needed the need for water so he said hey i know the contacts in nepal if you can help raise the money Nice. So they ended up raising enough money to bring, I think it was 
it was enough water for 23,000 people. So it was about 2,300 Sawyer filters. The, all the Sawyer filters? So they're. Yeah. So then they, crap, they would. So each Sawyer filter is $10. And that can, and that you guys know, but it can support 10 people for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Sawyer says 30, but wine to water goes with 10 just in case. Just to be safe. Um, so we, yeah. So like they went to that natural disaster with those contacts. And, and so they had a Nepalese person talking for them instead of an American. It's kind of like the dignity aspect of water. Like, I think it's very important for that to, to not like, cause they, they get like looked down they feel like they're being looked down on when we come and do give them water. So it's cool with wine to water cause they make international offices. So now they have four, they have one in the Dominican that's doing Sawyer filter or ceramic filters. Mm-hmm. They have one in Tanzania that they just opened. That's doing ceramic filters. They have Nepal and then they have the Amazon as well. Um, and they also do different techniques like tube well. My first time in Nepal, I was, um, we drilled tube well. It was literally just a metal pipe. And they're just, they, t- they dig a hole. They put cow manure for an insulator. They start another little hole. They put water in. You start pumping the pipe. The water goes down. And then they just start suctioning the water and mud up from the top. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a cup thing. And, you know, it took about one day. And then once you hit the rock, it's just everybody smashing together. So these are, like, we would do, these are like hand very, dug? These are hand dug. So what you Holy do is shit. you just post, postal dig two bamboo sticks up and then a crossbar. And then you could have another crossbar bamboo with a chain. And you could kind of pop, uh-huh. pop, um, pop it up and then it would just drop the bar down and you would bring the bar up and drop it. And they had a quick system. And then we would smash rock by hand. Um, and we did five wells in five days, 30 feet each for each well. So like that first trip, yeah, that first trip was like just super like eye-opening for me, for sure. Well, yeah, you know, it's important to do like a lot of travel and see the world from a different perspective. And uh, you had Absolutely. that opportunity to do it in a, a charitable fashion, which is even better. Because now you're not only are you traveling and getting that worldview, that world experience, but you're also getting like stuff done you're doing good for the communities over there yeah yeah exactly so you mentioned something about the cow manure like what you, usually you don't associate clean water with cow manure but what is it's an insulator for yeah so like uh you so you dig a hole to put water in so when you're smashing the pipe in there's always water going down into the hole makes it a little bit easier but in, yeah but instead of the water soaking into the dirt they just put cow manure along the whole bowl so then it doesn't seep and it just goes down. Mm-hmm. But then like once you get the well, so once you drill it and you get the water or down to the water uh, table, then they put a PVC, you melt the end, you cut little slits about three feet up and then they pull, push that all the way down and then they put the well head on. And then it's like a 30 minute process. You just, just keep pumping and it just pulls all that black like cow manure sludge out. Mm-hmm. And then about 30 minutes, it's clean as can be, man. So... Really, no additional like filtration yeah. or anything required, huh? No, like uh, they they will like when the water will give soil filters out, but it was testing really great. So nice. and I always think like especially there with like the Himalaya, all that runoff. Yeah, so. it's got to be like some of the purest, best water in the world. Sure. So yeah, yeah, I was yeah, cool techniques they do. That's crazy. So I didn't know like you had to go. That's that's wild, man. No equipment. No, it's just all dug by well, hand. It's just. So these guys, the locals, before locals, dr- ride their bikes with 40 feet of pipe. Mm-hmm. 
So it'd be like a 20 stick, 15 stick, 10 stick, and a five stick. And then you just keep switching them out to get to the full 30 or 40 feet that you need. And they're riding their bikes with that. And then you just pick up bamboo from whoever's house it is. Yeah. Wow, dude, that's crazy. So it's like the, the pipes are kind of sleeved, like kind of like that fashion. Oh, uh, they're just, it's, yeah, it's just like a, about a two inch metal pipe. And then, yeah, you can just hand thread it. Oh, cool. All right. Damn, that's wild. So now Nepal wasn't the only place that you've been to, right? No. So I've been to Nepal twice, actually. So when I went the second time, um, we did a, a gravity feed system. So I ended up being there in the village for about 40, 40 45 days total. Mm-hmm. And it's the community that does the project. So Wine the Water does about 7% of the funding. Um, and then government has to pay like about 10. The community pays 10. And then they try to get other municipalities. Can't say that word. Um, <laughs> You're all good. <laughs> so they try, to get, they try to get them to participate. So they build the community and they actually build like the country up. So um, then this gravity feed system was so much more complex instead of just doing a well because it was able to give 99 homes water to their door. Yeah. So so it was solar pumps, three different water sources um, just near on the jungle edge of southern Nepal, jungle edge, eight miles from India border. Um, so they're pulling up three sources of water and then they're getting it up to two 20,000 liter tanks that I actually was there the whole time for the whole process of building it uh-huh. besides digging the hole. And that was really cool to see because then you just melt pipe with like a metal pan all the way down, wire it off, melt pan, melt the pipes. It gives them an easier, like an easier way to fix it if there's any trouble. So like the locals yeah. can fix it while we're gone. So they can just melt it, start a fire super quick. So that was cool because it was all wide off and it was to where each family had actually a toilet and clean water so it's, that they could cook with, drink, everything. So it's serving two purposes at that point. It's serving as uh, sanitation and clean water. Yeah, and visiting like the other communities while I was there from like six months ago, you know, they got water that they can farm with. They're not having to walk five gallons at a time to farm. They got the water there. So they can do tunnel farming. They can farm any time of the year. They can they can sell more crops. They can grow more crops. Yeah, well, it, it's it's like investing in an infrastructure that you know has a lot more uh, positive things than just providing clean water. I mean, it's like the whole scope of things when you're Absolutely. providing you know sanitation, water, agriculture. It's just going to benefit that community more. And, yeah, you know, I mean. I, a lot of these communities that yeah and that's the cool thing too is like it's it's an uplift for that community too because a lot of the places that you work um they're not they're not as privileged as america you know yeah absolutely so that's that's definitely cool man so where else have you been to do this um i also went to the dominican republic twice so they there's a guy there named rodimaeus and he designed um the ceramic uh water filter there mm-hmm. so they use he uses uh clay sawdust and liquid silver liquid and silver. uh yeah liquid silver so I, I don't know the correct term and there's another word to it i think it's colloidal sw- silver i believe okay maybe yeah, yeah you got know. it yeah i think you're right so oh. yeah so they they mixed the clay with um sawdust so when it gets fired it's porous uh-huh so then the liquid silver, so that actually kills it too, but the liquid silver is what actually kills most of the bacteria and it can kill up to 99.99% of the bacteria. 
And um, so basically it's just a, it looks like a flower pot and it goes right on top of a five gallon bucket. And then you close it with a lid and then they can throw a five, five gallon water jug on top of any water they want, river water, um, water they buy. But this is, this is to help them not be paying for water. Um, but they can filter that and it just goes down. And then once a week, we teach them how to clean it. You know, just clean it with 10% uh, Clorox, brush the inside, rinse it out. And it should be good for a lifetime is what he says. And Wine to Water partnered with them um, a while back and they they help logistically, but they also bring a lot of volunteer trips there. They're probably That's probably their biggest um, trip um, location. They probably do about 20 a year. So and where was this at again? This is the Dominican Republic. Dominican Republic. And they, now they just got ravaged by a hurricane, like back-to-back hurricanes down there too, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so, from what I've heard. Yeah, I know that those hurricanes, they did, uh, I know they destroyed a lot of the infrastructure there, so, and water is one of those precious resources. You can't yeah. obviously drink seawater or else you'll die. So, Absolutely. no, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, the, speaking of seawater, I mean... On these coastal communities, are these these clay pots that you're talking about with the silver in them? Um, are those able to filter uh, filter out seawater even? No, no, no. So it, we basically uh, encourage them to do rainwater because mm-hmm. the rains there, you know, almost daily. So if they can just find a way of collecting rainwater, um, that's their best bet. Um, some areas, you know, we would go. So like on the last couple of days of, you spend like three or four days building the filters in the factory working with the local factory workers. Mm. And then after that, you go and you actually distribute them and then you follow up after a month to see how the filter is doing, how it's affecting their lives, which is really cool because, you know, I've seen like a guy just break down in tears, six years old, saying like how he doesn't have to worry about his kids and his grandkids throwing up and being sick, how they were having diarrhea every day for like up to 12 years. Holy crap. And that's the thing is a lot of these places you go to, like they, the adults you talk to, the water doesn't bug them anymore. But after, but the first 12 years of their life, they're miserable. Like yeah. people are losing their lives, but you know, but if they can make it, then like they get prone to you drinking that water. So yeah. in the Dominican, what's, what's also a big issue is they bottle the water. So they, they put it on five gallon, five gallon drugs on a truck bed in the sun, driving everywhere. Just a prime breeding so, ground for bacteria. And the, yeah, and yeah, and that bottle was returned and not cleaned. Oh, so there's a lot of like problems with that, obviously. <laughs> I mean, we take oh, yeah. water for granted all the time. I think it's like one of those things that we take granted take for granted the most is clean water. You know, we're very privileged here, yeah. but in a lot of these places they're not so privileged. Um, but I think it's cool what you're doing, man. Um one one little thing that I kind of wanted to like talk about though is uh, like how these water companies, typically soda companies, are just wildly inflating the prices of water, clean water in these countries, and that's mm-hmm. that's definitely a, a real thing. It's almost like war profiteering, you know, or profiteering off of a natural disaster. I mean, what, oh, are, yeah. what are your thoughts on that? I mean, have you seen any of that firsthand by any chance? Um. You know, not really either in Nepal or the Dominican. I recently was like in the in the um, Bahamas after Hurricane Dor- uh, Dorian, mm-hmm. and the thing about what I was seeing is they had soda and stuff, but it was very high priced because it was coming overseas, mm-hmm. and it was like a boat that had to get fixed. 
Um, the bottle water, like uh, we worked with a bottle water company in the Bahamas and got her RO system going so she could bottle her water. RO and, as in reverse osmosis? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, which can take out the salt water. Uh, so basically she was having a hard time getting her factory going and her machines going. And it was very hard. So like the prices were up because they were having to get it so far. Yeah. Um, but the thing is the other huge issue about that kind of stuff is we donate water, which is great, but we just send in like pallets of water and these guys are relying to like drink and wash dishes and shower with these water bottles and pollution like it's unreal oh yeah man plastic bottles i mean it's like the with the great pacific trash mass or whatever they call it that's yeah it's all just a, a lump of plastic just floating around out in the ocean man yeah so, yeah yeah dude as far as like the reusability and being able to like do that stuff on site and not have to rely on bottled water which is certain yeah. companies wildly inflate the prices on that um Definitely. Yeah, man, I think that's that's very noble cause. I think water should be free for everybody. And that's another thing that's crazy too. I mean, there's certain countries out there where it's literally illegal to collect rainwater. Yeah, where's that at? Uh, some places in South America, believe it or not. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So I guess uh, you have to rely on you know either. Is it is it like a safety hazard, like acid rain, or what is it? No, I think that some of these companies actually own the rights to the water rights to the country huh. or something like that. I don't know. I'd have to look into it more, but I know there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of documentaries out there like, uh, water wars. That's a good one. Um, hmm. but yeah, it's kind of exposing like the, uh, how people are purchasing water rights and it's going to become like, the fastest growing and most expensive resource on the planet because you know, the, the world's made of what? 75% yeah. water but you can't drink it. Yep. So these guys are capitalizing yep. off of that. <clears throat> Pretty wild, man. So tell me more about the Bahamas. Huh. Yeah, so it was kind of crazy because like like I was saying with Wine to Water, the founder's Doc Henley. Um, I met him once before, um, but you know, we weren't, we weren't like really close or anything. And um, I was just working prevention in Utah. Um, pretty bummed out, honestly, that I couldn't do more for the Bahamas. I've been there um, twice before, 2010, 2012, doing some mission work at church. Um, nice. There was, a, there was an old leprosy camp, and they uh, ended up using it for people with AIDS. So they were just killing off everyone that had AIDS on an island. And so, wait, wait, we wait, ended wait up, they're just killing so people? They, like, well, not, they don't kill them, but oh, they're okay. killing them off, basically. They're making them stay in one location. Gotcha. Okay. That's wild, man. So, yeah. So I had like a, I had a heart for Bahamas and I really wanted to do some more. Um, so I was pretty bummed that like I couldn't do water. And then my crew was about to go out on another assignment. I was like, man, I want to go out. Like, this sucks. And, and I woke up the next day, the next couple days, and I had a missed call and a text from Doc saying that um, they need someone to go out there for two or three weeks, switch out with him. So I jumped on the opportunity, got it to work out. Um, I ended up already going to Chicago for a, they have a film called I Can, I Do, mm -hmm. um, just about their work, three different countries. Um, so I was already headed up there. And so then from there, I just went out to the Bahamas. And um, basically, Wine to Water went out there to distribute uh, Sawyer filters. They did about 1,200 total. But the problem was the Sawyer filter 
does not take out the salt water. Yeah. So it was more of they didn't really know that and like they just they just gave up. So like some of the people didn't like really quite tell them how to use the filter. So once once you get like going how to like get collect rainwater, they can use the filter. But the biggest need there was kind of the RO system, reverse osmosis. So Doc knew that was a need um, after the filters was being kind of reliable, but kind of not. Yeah. Um, so when I got out there, that's when we started doing those. Um, I, I flew over with the control panel for the water organization that we met, Pure Water. Um, we fixed that the first day. She was ready to go. She just needed to get some more bottling equipment. Um, but then I also installed three smaller ones, uh, two in schools and then one in an animal shelter. And then that water, they can just put any salt water and it's self-cleaning. So, Oh, it's like self-regulating? Yeah, so you just basically just plug it in. Well, you put water in first, and then you just plug it in, and then there's just a you just switch it over, and it backflows, backflushes. Nice. Five minutes, ten minutes, a week. So yeah, huh? That's that was that was that was different. It was cool. That's pretty wild, man. I mean, it seems like you've been all over the all over the world, kind of doing this stuff, and it's 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 really cool to see that you know fire personnel have also this this vested interest and passion in going out and actually doing. philanthropic work yeah it's it's definitely cool man i mean yeah now i know that wine to water is not just your only passion i know that you have another passion too it's uh i mean you have the uh what is it's called the fire and water like tell me about your dream that you have with this yeah so kind of like my second trip um with doing water um they, they they saw that i was like really interested and passionate about it and there's opportunities like uh, to look into doing like a year internship in Nepal or somewhere where I could live there. And I was really tempted, but I decided to do fire. Mm-hmm. And then that's literally the year I broke my hip. Um, and like, I just partially like, I don't know if I'll ever get back in fire because it's been about a year and a half where my like leg has been dormant of like real strength. I don't know if I can hike, carry a pack the rest of my life. Yeah. So, and I, water was very, a huge outlet with my beginning of my uh, injury. Like I walked half the time because I wanted to make it to North Carolina for a water conference in a month. So like, it was always like something that really like pulled me out of the darkness. And so I, I personally think like fire and water go together. Yeah. They're like the antithesis of each other. Yeah. And I think as firefighters, we could make a huge impact. If you know, if we could, if we could tell a story about like, the, if you look at the statistics on water, it's pretty remarkable. And if we can tell that and we can find ways to fundraise money, if we could find a way to, you know, someday do disaster relief, like that would be awesome. Um, when I was in the Bahamas, there's a huge need. Uh, all that salt water came over, it flooded, it was up to 20 feet in areas that I saw, mm-hmm. and that went all the way down in their water table. So all the plant vegetation was dead. Just everything kind of just yeah. died because it, yeah. it's been so my, poisoned by salt water. Absolutely. So like the first day I flew into Abaco, um, saw his home just completely leveled everywhere. And then I flew over to the other island that I was meeting Doc with. And there was four forest fires that we flew over just on one island. And they're just raging so they out ha- of control. They don't have the they didn't have the ability no. to dedicate resources to that after a they're, natural disaster yeah, happened. 
yeah, they're burning up to like homes, burning rubble right next to homes. And there's the one fire truck that you can see that's not doing anything. Yeah. So like there's definitely a need in that as well. Um, I saw, um, and there's, there's a too bad. I found bad news today, but there's a, been an organization called pure water. Mm-hmm. No, not sorry. Pure water is Bahamas. Uh, that's called, um, what is it? Paradise funds. Paradise they're funds. out of, uh, yeah, they're out of uh, Palm Beach. But she, I met her. She was one of the ones that helped us do logistical on our plane flights. Uh, and she's, her brother died in 9-11. And she has a big fire pole. And she, like, is very close knit with the New York Fire Department. And she was hopefully, like, doing funding to get firefighters out there. So she asked me to go out there to teach a course and teach them how to use uh, $10,000 of fire equipment and possibly build a fire station. So I, I really wanted to do that. And that was like my passion. So I stopped, I kind of canceled my scope surgery or kind of postponed it because I was really wanting to go do this and it fell through and I had about 10 people that wanted to go with me. So then I find out the day before, you know, my surgery that it's on again Oh, so no. I bite I bite the bullet and I do the surgery. And my boss has got like 40, 45 people that now he's gotten interested. So like there's a need and I have interest, but that fell through twice and then now it's fallen through totally today. Um I found out. So it's like there's a huge need and I feel like um yeah man, I just feel like we could do something. And I know like with an injury, like there's some dark days and I know you know, there's a suicide rate with firefighters, and I know, like, it can be rough, PTSD, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So I also, like, want fire, fire and Water to be, like, an outlet to, like, open up to each other, but also to put, like, that hurt energy or that confusion into something that's beautiful as giving water, man. So um, that's kind of what I want Fire and Water to be. Um, yeah. Nice, man. Well, I mean, if I could help in any way, dude, I'm definitely uh, down to get the word out and see if anybody... Uh, would like to join in on this fire to water program. I think that's, that's noble and it's awesome. Yeah. Have you, have you heard of uh fill the boot? I'm sure. Oh yeah, of course. But, like that's like the one fundraiser I see the department doing. So like my big, my big push would be like uh, dropping the bucket and just, you know, a couple of days, one time a year. Yeah, man. You know, be out there talk about the water crisis. Well, I def- water. yeah, dude, I definitely guarantee that the, uh, the folks that are listening, I, I, if they're bored in the winter and they want something to do, and like you said earlier, if they want to channel that like off-season negativity into something wonderful and positive and help other people, yeah, dude, we got to make some con- connections. Uh, that There's Absolutely. definitely a, a need for it, and there's definitely the bodies who are willing and able to do this. So Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. And Go ahead. I was just going to say, also, like uh, the, the founder, his... His first fundraising was at, he's a bartender and he did it at the bar. And so like some of their big fundraisers that they like to do is like, dude, if you just like have a local bar that you like, you know, tips for a night or something like that, if they're cool with that, that's, that'd be a cool way to make some money too. Yeah, man. Let's definitely organize some shit. That'd be, uh, that'd be cool, man. Um, yeah. So you mentioned something right there that kind of struck me. Um, yeah. This was... You mentioned that with the mental health thing and recovering from injuries and the dark days, the PTSD and all that stuff that firefighters are plagued with. You use this as 
a means to escape that not necessarily escape that but heal heal from that tell us about that yeah absolutely i mean um it's kind of like my whole life i mean i moved in with my aunt until i was five um, my both both my parents um were drugs and alcoholics my dad's both his parents died when they're 12 my mom was raped when she was 15 so like that going from that environment going into my aunt and uncles i saw like a total change of middle class to 50 dollars a month um and with that, I, I had a disability and I like really struggled. And that's why fire was a huge outlet for me because I could work my ass off and people would appreciate me and like me for who I was and not like by the books. Yeah. And so with water now, like I have that same feeling. I, I have that same passion and that same like love for like helping, but also working hard mm-hmm. and kind of escaping in that way. Um, because like my life hasn't been easy and this injury has taken a lot of stuff that I, I love to do. And I don't know if I'll be able to run again. I don't know if I can, like, I wanted to jump, like it's taken a lot of stuff. And so, but it's, but the water has really like given me a positive outlet and opportunities such as being on your podcast. Like that's just an opportunity. So it's bad yeah. timing, I guess. Well, things happen for a reason, man. And uh, you know what, dude, to be completely honest with you, fire is always going to be there. It'll always be there. There'll yeah. be always firefighters. I mean, yeah, it's it sucks and it's a struggle to give up your passion. It's something that you're so passionate about. But in that regard, that same regard, uh, other opportunities are going to come your way, man. And that's what's cool about what you're doing with the whole fire to water and wine to water programs that you're working with. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. So it, it's it's good, man. It's it's good for your mental health, and it's you know it's good for the communities that are involved. You're involved with, and it's also good for you. Yeah, absolutely. So I hope this program definitely expands. And dude, I mean, like I said, let's uh, let's uh, let's work together. See if we can get this launched. That's it. Oh yeah, man. Well, shit, dude. I mean, do you got anything else? I think this is that's about the tie-in point. This is a pretty epic episode. And uh, one of my friends, Booze, we call him Booze because he doesn't want his real name. <laughs> thrown out there how do, you, how do you know booze so he was uh detailed onto the module uh-huh. that i worked on so he came out from alaska and i don't know we just kind of kicked it off talked hang out um it's kind of nice because i like the hot tub for my hip and there was nowhere in vernal so i'd go to his hotel and just, relax in the hot tub a couple beers hang out with him so it's fun yeah, he's a wild dude. He's pretty cool, man. Um, yeah, he's the one who introduced me to you. So definitely shout out to yeah. Booze and Fire if you guys want to find him on uh, Instagram. Absolutely. He's a cool dude. Yeah, he's a cool dude. Well, Clay, uh, as far as, you know, getting involved, uh, reaching out to you, where can we find you? Yeah, so I basically Instagram is probably the best. Um, and it's actually called Water is Everything. So it's water underscore is underscore everything underscore and it's all lowercase perfect um fire and water was taken so (laughs) fire and water (laughs) of course right (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah navigating social media is always always a challenge but yeah man um definitely i'll definitely throw up all of your links and uh all of your show notes on the uh, episode and then uh definitely get you uh out there get a little bit more exposed to see what you guys are doing i think it's a wonderful program that you're doing and uh yeah it's it's killer man that's awesome yeah and i do i do want to make a point like uh wine to water has always been 
a volunteer thing for me and I've always done that. And fire and water is, it's just me. And there's like, I don't have anybody that's like really committed to do it with me. So uh, it's not like really you guys, it's kind of me right now, but I would like it to be much bigger for sure. Yeah, definitely. Let's uh, work together. See if we can bump up this program, get it going. Cool. Got your socials. Uh, Do you have like a website or anything like that or any shout out or any uh, like, like uh, what was the the book um, with uh, Doc? Yes. Yeah. So wine to water, wine to water, Uh, wine to water.org. Okay. And then wine to water for all social media and Facebook and all that. Perfect. And uh, definitely check them out. Yeah. Definitely check out his book too as well. And what was Doc? uh, That's obviously not his real name. What's his, what's his actual name? Um, that's what he goes by. D O K. Uh, I don't even. I don't think he's ever told me. Oh really? He's kind of down low, maybe. <laughs> he might be. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's a cool dude. He's he's impressive. Nice man. So definitely pick up that book if you guys want to find out more. Um. So, end of the show. With the time point here. Uh. Definitely always give the the ability for you to give a a shout out to a homie, a hero, a mentor. Who do you got for us, man? It could be multiple people. It could be a few. It's up to you. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I Maybe, honestly, it might be corny, but Doc, honestly, because like that book really spoke levels and it's really like shaped my life and my, my thoughts. And working with him for four days in the Bahamas, just seeing like, the things that bounce off his head and like what his passion is and like how he treats people. It's it's a cool way of mission. It's not entitlement. It's dignity. So yeah. Shout out shout out to him. He's, he's awesome. Right for on, sure. man. Well, cool, man. Thanks for coming on the show. And uh yeah. Everybody listening, check out his works, man. He's doing some good stuff. Clay, thanks for coming Thank on the show, dude. Thank you. All right, there we go. Ladies and gentlemen, another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast is in the books with Clay Hess. Clay, my man, dude, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing what you do. Uh, You are very passionate about your craft, and I definitely appreciate it. Uh, It should be noted that every 90 seconds, a child of five and under actually dies from a water-related illness. So he's doing good stuff, man. Um, He's also doing a build, a a filter build, and uh, I'll definitely post those uh, links in the show notes if you guys want to find out more. It's going to be in Cheyenne, and uh, yeah, he's going to be building a shit ton of water filters for these communities in need. So, if you guys want to find out more, check out those show notes. Later. <laughs>